Welcome to Fat Guy, Jack Guy. I'm Steph Rubino. And I'm Brendan Walsh. Today, we're taking y'all into the octagon. Before we do that, we have a little message for you. Become a patron of Fat Guy, Jack Guy by going to patreon.com backslash fatguyjackguy. For as little as $3 a month, you get access to weekly bonus episodes and uh, some cool little logo stickers. And you also just help us be brothers. That's right. Enjoy the show. Fat Guy, Jack Guy. Let's hop into the Fat Guy, Jack Guy preamble. <laughs> Let's go. Today, by the way, we're going to talk about season one of the reality television series, The Ultimate Fighter. Which I know nothing about. Which debuted in 2005, which, hey, that's right in our wheelhouse. That's right in our decade, our totally normal decade. 2003 that we're to 2013. That's right. I rented my first UFC video when I was 13 years old. It was 2001, and like many kids, I was intrigued by the idea of combat of various kinds. <laughs> More like intrigued by the idea of beating ass. Yeah, just beating ass. <laughs> combat. My dad, of course, who was with me at Blockbuster, had to allow this, and uh, the video required some parental consent. Mm. So my dad was like, yeah, sure, we'll get you this beat up video. <laughs> the VHS was... Um, too mature and too violent and too terrifying for the eyes of young people. It had that big, like, warning sticker yeah. on the front that you used to get when you went to Blockbuster. I remember. I watched the video by myself <laughs> alone. Is this? A, I was sneaking some kind of late-night HBO softcore porn. <laughs> I spent my winters at youth wrestling practice and my springs at lacrosse, and I liked hitting kids. I also liked... Getting hit. My anger came from a place of masculine dread. I didn't quite feel right because no teenagers ever do. So like many boys, I pursued the things that made sense. Specifically, if I hit you, you will fall down. <laughs> Simple and accessible logic. It makes sense to teenage boys. It's an easy math equation. <laughs> it just works. Minus calculus. <laughs> Does, isn't bothered by this. Yeah, that was my first like we logic problem this in college. More, actually, yeah. My UFC VHS tape wasn't as hardcore as I thought it would be. <laughs> Knockouts were quick, and the fuzzy 1990s quality of the video didn't really enhance the violence. In fact, much of it was pretty boring. When I arrived at the Ken Shamrock super fight with Hoist Gracie, a 30-minute grappling match with a muscle-bound Shamrock, lying on top of a white geed Gracie, occasionally peppering him with punches, I wasn't exactly hooked. But I figured this was my sport to be a fan of, the one I could understand best. The wrestlers, people I admired because I was one of them, often fared the best in matches against kickboxers and karate guys, which at that time period were like the holy grail of combat, right? <laughs> if you were a karate guy, you could oh, beat yeah. anybody, right? You could beat anyone's ass. Until this like Olympic wrestler just came in and beat the shit out of all the karate guys. <laughs> I'm like, what is happening? The karate guy didn't rip his throat out. Like in Roadhouse. Well, technically, I think that would probably be against the rules. Yeah, you can't use your karate <laughs> skills. You can't use your karate skills. These fights um, were the most boring with the wrestlers, but the wrestlers were the most feared, and that really resonated with me as a young wrestler. You're I like, eventually, I be yeah, it's them. like I want to be the guy who beats the most be ass. Afraid of me. I bought Ken Shamrock's book about the lion's <laughs> den, his training facility in California. I downloaded highlight videos on LimeWire of the best fighters, and I rented more VHS tapes from Blockbuster. Nice. I was an MMA fan before most people knew what MMA was. But as my fandom grew, so did my distaste for violence. <laughs> it's an odd push and pull. I wrestled in high school, and I hated it, though I persisted and did okay. I realized that I didn't want to hurt people as bad as I thought. <laughs> I felt awful when I slammed someone or cross-faced their noses until they bled. Still, I sought MMA whenever possible. 
little definition here. MMA is mixed martial arts. It's a relatively new sport in its current form. Our current iteration of the sport comes from a few places, Vale Tudo in Brazil and Pancrase in Japan, two sports that exemplified hand-to-hand -hand combat in early MMA. In the US, boxing was the big time real combat sport and boxing is ultimately pretty limited in terms of mm -hmm. its violence and the kind of skills that you can use. It's, it's punching, there's a lot to it and it's amazing, but it's punching. Yes, we also have a serious culture of folk style and freestyle wrestling in the U.S., but before oh, yeah. MMA came here, most Americans had never seen the kinds of grappling and striking that mixed martial arts requires. The first UFC event occurred in 1993. This first event was essentially an infomercial for the Gracie family and their brand of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, and obviously Hoist Gracie won the first UFC. Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is a submission grappling art that was, was quite effective for mixed martial arts in the early days. It still remains effective. Brutal submissions always nullified powerful striking, especially because strikers of this era had virtually no understanding of grappling. The UFC initially was met with skepticism and indignation in its early <laughs> years, with Senator John McCain working to ban it. However, he was totally fine with, like, you know, the military-industrial complex and, like, dropping bombs on Vietnam. But, I like, mean, that's bad. That's okay violence. Yeah, that was for freedom! <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, people who consent to compete in a combat sport, those guys are human cockfighting. Yes. Right? Many states even refused to sanction it for uh, the decade following its inception. Eventually, by battling through obscurity and hardcore fandom and an acquisition by the company Zufa in 2001, the UFC and MMA more broadly gained a small foothold in American sports. What's always noteworthy to me is the ways in which Americans love and worship violence in certain contexts, yet condemn it in others. Many Americans love our military unconditionally. People embrace the violence of law enforcement, yet condemn the violence of the oppressed. We're fine with football players suffering life-destroying concussions and boxers literally beating themselves brain dead, but when a sport promises combat without the rules and impediments, suddenly we're too precious to imagine this thing. Well, yeah. It's not cops killing a guy. It's not for freedom. <laughs> it's not for freedom. It's not for freedom. The interesting thing about the UFC now is that they are like, you know, they're for freedom now. Oh, no. Now I know. it's totally yeah, now for it's freedom. Been, now it's been embraced by the for freedom crowd. Which is part of why it's less cool than it was in the past. There are tons of great resources on the history of MMA and how our understanding of the sport was shaped by organizations not in the U.S. but around the world, including... Pride FC in Japan, which is often pointed to as the greatest and most absurd fight organization. They were pretty much like a real no rules, no holds barred, no weight classes sort of combat oh. thing. And it was run by the Yakuza. Nice. And so there was also like some fight fixing. It was just like crazy. That sounds better, actually. It was awesome. <laughs> Unfortunately, Pride was bought by the UFC in 2007-2008. And they made rules. Yeah, and they made lame old rules. If you're interested in how MMA became a global phenomenon, you can check out a few resources. I'm not going to do that. Fighting in the Age of Loneliness by Felix Biederman of Chapo Trap House is probably the best thing for like learning about what MMA is and the, the place it has in our culture. Or you can look at a YouTube channel called MMA on Point. Pretty much what started as a no-rules freak show that pitted 500-pound sumo wrestlers against skinny kickboxers became slowly but surely a regulated weight class sport with a definitive set of rules. Within the span of 20 years, fighters were well-rounded athletes tested for PEDs who had the small, very small potential for international fame. Around the time of Zufa's purchase of the UFC, Spike TV, <laughs> a TV network for men. <laughs> aka like teenage boys, arrived in our lives. 
Remember Spike? Yeah, I remember Spike. <laughs> R.I.P. Baby. It was for men. Rip in peace. <laughs> Spike played gone but not like gone. garbage countdowns for men. Yeah. Like top ten boobs of movies, yes. some shit like that. Yeah. They also played a lot of reruns of the Japanese game show Most Extreme Elimination yes, Challenge. That was always on. That was probably thirteen hours anytime, of their programming. Anytime you just clicked over to Spike TV, that's the show that was on. You're gonna see MXC on there. Yeah. Spike also cornered the UFC market, and in early 2005, Spike aired season one of The Ultimate Fighter and signed a deal to air UFC Fight Nights in addition to the standard UFC pay-per-view fight card model, which increased the number of fight cards and therefore increased the number of eyes that could just stumble upon MMA. Yeah. So Spike TV is integral in the growth of MMA as a whole and also the growth of the UFC, which is like the flagship MMA brand company. And then they just disappeared into obscurity. R.I.P. Spike TV. <laughs> so let's talk about The Ultimate Fighter. What was slash is The Ultimate Fighter? Because unfortunately, The Ultimate Fighter still exists and is still a television show. <laughs> oh, the show, show is still on? Season 30 we're on right now, wow. brother. It's Truly season insane. 30? Yeah, they've done like two a year That's for the past 17 the years. Yeah, it's wild. And I only know that because I just Googled that this morning. <laughs> so, nobody, I don't watch The Bachelor, everybody. Two shows that suck. Yeah, two shows that suck. Yeah, sure. Anyway, The Ultimate Fighter. What was it? What is it? It was, I would argue, kind of a good show at the time period in which it aired. Season one of The Ultimate Fighter gave many Americans who had only a cursory knowledge or no knowledge of all of MMA a glimpse into who these fighters were. In 2005, MMA and the UFC weren't what they are now by any means. People maybe knew names like Chuck Liddell and Tito Ortiz, who were the two biggest stars of the time period. Those are names I actually know. Yeah, there you go, right? I've only seen one UFC fight night. Yeah, with me a with couple weeks ago. However, the sport remained quite obscure. There was an impression that every fighter was a dumb jock idiot who loved violence. And though this was partly true, I would argue that this is true of pretty much every profession. Yes. <laughs> There's a lot of... That is very true. You know, finance guys and doctors and lawyers who are dumb Most jock idiots who like violence. dumb idiots who like violence. We can't hide from this, guys. We're American. It's not just fighters. <laughs> Your surgeon also likes it. Your surgeon wants to beat ass. <laughs> the show The Ultimate Fighter combined the living in a house with a stranger group drama of the real world with organized fights and the chance at a, quote, six-figure UFC contract. Wow. And I'll get Six into that. Figures. I'll get into the specifics of the contract yeah. in a bit. Tough, which I'll call The Ultimate Fighter, because great acronym, obviously. Mm -hmm. Tough was a product of its time, and you could get similar reality show antics on any network. This was yeah. the, every network was airing, oh, a bunch of strangers living in a house yeah, for some reason. Yeah, 2005 was like the time. Uh, absolutely. If you want to go back in time to that time period to watch those kinds of shows, you know, do it, guys. Do it. It's there. If you want to wear There's a so many. big old basketball jersey <laughs> and big old shorts. Big old denim shorts. <laughs> what Tough offered that was different was the chance to understand MMA and MMA athletes better. And mm. MMA athletes at this time were a lot more of a, a question mark, an anomaly, than they are now. They weren't really considered athletes as much as they were considered like freak shows. Mm. They were real people with lives and struggles, more struggles arguably than every other athlete because they essentially made no money and fought in a much more violent sport. Yeah. And these were people who just like happened to do this weird sport who were people. They're humans. The structure of Tough was very simple. Two UFC fighters, currently contracted UFC fighters, Chuck Liddell and Randy Couture, coached a team of middleweights, which are 185 pounders, and light heavyweights, which are 205 pounders, and each week members of the teams would fight. Each other. Yeah. Losers were eliminated from the bracket but stayed in the house to cause chaos because they were no longer worried about prepping for a fight. 
and winners advance for a shot at the finale to win that six-figure contract. They really wanted the drama. Oh, they got it. Making them fight each other, they should have had two separate houses. Yeah, I mean, but it's an interesting dynamic because, like, guys had to, like, fight their friends. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. They really wanted the drama. Yeah, and the drama happened. Oh, I'm sure. Season one was particularly good for drama. But I think that was, once again, a product of its time. They wanted that drama more, I think, because this was like, hey, this is a freak show thing. Right. Now the UFC is a brand that maybe wants to maintain a certain kind of image. Yeah, they want some decorum. Yeah, they want to act like they're a real sport, which they are, but it's not the same. It's not the same for a lot of reasons. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about this six-figure contract, okay? <laughs> Break it down. It's, it's, first of all, not exactly a six-figure contract. Of course contract, it's not. Okay. And I'll get into like what UFC fighters are making now at the start versus what they were making then, but this is important. These contracts that the two winners got were specifically three-year contracts with a guaranteed first year. Meaning... No, really quickly. They yes. had, so one winner was going to be the middleweight and then another winner was going to be the light heavyweight. Light heavyweight. Yep. heavyweight. Okay. So two winners total. Yeah, yeah. What that means is that three year with a guaranteed first year means that you're not guaranteed the other two years. They could cut you after the first year. And the six figures is for all three years. Yes. So your first year, you are contracted three fights, which means you're offered three fights. It doesn't necessarily mean you're going to fight three Mm -hmm. fights. You get three fight offers, maybe more than, but you know, you can fight three times. The first year's purse per fight consists of... $12,000 guaranteed with a $12,000 win bonus, meaning a maximum of $24,000 per fight. Okay? So do the math there. Maybe you get three fights and you lose all three fights. You made $36,000. If you won, what's what's 24 times three? You know the math there? 72. Yeah, yeah, it's seventy. Doesn't sound 72? like seventy-two. Doesn't sound like six figures to me. I could be wrong. <laughs> no, you're right. These are two people with this calculator trying to figure this out. No, it's seventy-two thousand. Seventy-two thousand. Yeah. That's not a six-figure contract. We make, and they gotta go out there and get their heads busted. Yeah, in. it's not fair. Mm-hmm. Like to be one of the greatest of your sport in the entire world, and you're making potentially sit thirty-six thousand dollars a year. That's insane. Uh, so the second year, not worth it. Second year, you get bumped to a sixteen and sixteen, meaning a sixteen show, mm-hmm. sixteen win. Third year is when you get to that 22 and 22. So the third year is when you're really at the six-figure mark. Essentially, you'd have to, yeah, you'd have to, like, win all your fights, though. You'd have to win every single fight in order to make that six, which is not an easy task at all. Anyway, that's the, I just want to talk about the six-figure contract. We're going to get into labor a lot in a moment. really bullshit. Yeah, it's bullshit. In between the fights, of course, there were stupid team challenges, which were completely useless you and unnecessary. You gotta have a team challenge <laughs> so on dumb. these shows, though. Because they weren't about fighting. They were like dumb yeah. shit. It was like an obstacle course No, it was something. for character. Yeah, it was to build the characters. Yeah. And the coaches participated, so like, oh, okay. all right, well, whatever. Well, at least that's nice. Yeah. When there did was... the hosts ever participate? Yeah, it's nice Never. to have the hosts yeah. participate. The drama that I referred to, there was alcohol in the house. Of course. So when fighters were eliminated, obviously they're going to hit the bottle. Yeah. And they're going to cause some shit. Yeah. And that's when a lot of the shit went Why down. Why wouldn't you? And you got a lot of guys <laughs> who were fired up. All these dudes in the house, they're going to get into fights. They're going to get drunk. And of course, shit gets broken. People break doors. People break walls. Yeah. It's, it's real frat house shit. House. Yeah. A few things are particularly notable about season one of The Ultimate Fighter. First... What I found interesting looking back at the old roster is that many of the fighters, even the ones who didn't win, went on to have greater set success in MMA and the UFC. So many of them oh. were offered contracts after the fact. Like yeah. if they did a good job in the Ultimate Fighter, then Somebody liked them. they would get a contract. Yeah. yeah. There were only two men that won contracts, Diego Sanchez and Forrest Griffin. However bunch of other dudes ended up becoming like title challengers having like longer careers in the ufc so for that that's kind of nice i guess the outfits of the ultimate fighter are legendarily shitty interestingly enough they have the same exact fucking outfits now in 2023 like what they would fight in no oh they're they had to wear like a uniform oh they had to wear a uniform the whole time they were in the program yeah so it's like a basketball jersey like not a good cut Mm -hmm. it's like goes to the shoulder and, like, long basketballish shorts. Okay. Not a good look. Yeah, it's pretty weird. They don't have to have that in 2020. In 2005, that was cool. You looked good, right? <laughs> yes. Not anymore. Yeah. Not anymore. 
the outfit has not changed. And if you look up the Ultimate Fighter outfit, you can take a look at how stupid it looks. Really. So just a bunch of guys that look like uh, teenagers. Yeah, they look like teenagers. Yeah. They look like kids. They don't fit well. It's not modern. Maybe at all. some of them like are. Are they teenagers? young? Yeah, a lot of them are right. young. There's some older guys, yeah. but for the most part, you know, guys in their twenties. Yeah. But they still look too young. Another thing about the Ultimate Fighter is that it gave us our first in-depth view into the character that is Dana White, who was and remains the UFC president. Mm. He continues to hold this position despite his lack of interest in fighter welfare and fighter pay. But at the time, in 2005, a much younger Dana White seemed kind of like a cool everyman sort of executive, as Mm -hmm. much as that can exist. Right. He was no Vince McMahon. He was not at all. Now he is. Okay, now he's... So so the trajectory is, like, you start like that. You're just kind of normal. And you just want the sport to become popular. And then you become a fucking tyrant. Yeah. Yeah, that seems that's to be... That's the thing with That's Vince. the model. That's the yeah. blueprint. Dana White was this Boston tough guy who landed in the right place at the right time because he was friends with these billionaire Fertitta brothers who owned Zufa, and those were the guys that bought the UFC. So it's this guy who landed in the right place at the right time, but he was ultimately like an ex-boxer turned fight promoter, and then he was the president of the UFC, which at at this moment was not a big organization. So the dudes who owned Zufa were just like, oh, we're just going to give this job to our friend? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's normal shit. And Dana White is like an... A part who was a part owner of the UFC, okay, okay. so he got huge a huge payout mm. when the UFC eventually sold again to Endeavor. He seemed to live at the time for fighters and fighting. He was he was a guy who liked hanging out with the fighters, goofing mm-hmm. with the fighters. He was like, "Hey, I'm a tough guy too," which he was. So it was like, "All right, cool, cool, cool." This, of course, was before his astronomic wealth, his diehard Donald Trump support, which is really mm. funny, and his now recorded, literally recorded, spousal abuse. <laughs> yeah. He, the plot really got yeah. thick. He beat up his wife and it was on camera. What? Just this on past, camera? This past December 31st. Yeah. Holy shit. He was a guy who just really felt comfortable around other fighters and seemed to want the best for the fighters. He wanted the best for fight fans and fans, including myself at the time, because what did I know? I was like, hey, yeah. this guy seems like a cool company president. Whatever. In 2005, Dana White seemed like a model for leadership. He was in the trenches. Trenches. However... We're going to talk more about Dana White later because he now represents the absolute worst of (laughs) bossism, of being a boss. We're going to talk about Dana White later because now he sucks. He really does. (laughs) Okay. So I mentioned before some of these people became bigger names included in that list. Forrest Griffin, of course, who became the light heavyweight champion, was the light heavyweight winner of the season of The Ultimate Fighter. Stefan Bonner, who died last year was the runner-up, and he also got a contract. You also had guys like Josh Koscheck, Diego Sanchez, Kenny Florian, and the crippler Chris Lieben. The crippler. Okay? All these guys became household names in MMA because of their appearances on this show. Hmm. I remember in 2005 watching every episode of The Ultimate Fighter on Spike TV. The TV for men. It was it was for men, and I was a 17-year-old <laughs> man. <laughs> I remember feeling when I was 17, like, I am a man. I am a man watching Spike TV. <laughs> Such a Too funny idea. Like, did, was that around the time that they did Dr. Pepper for men? Do you remember that? No, I don't. But that's really funny. They did that. Yeah, it was like oh. Dr. Pepper. I guess it was a bolder taste. Is Dr. Pepper for women? Women can't handle it. <laughs> <laughs> women cannot it handle. It too bold. <laughs> I was sitting there, I cracked open a Dr. Pepper for men, and I watched my fights. I watched my TV. <laughs> I was just being a man. They probably played the commercials during oh my God. those fights. I'm sure I was like, that sounds pretty bold. <laughs> Ooh, spicy. Ooh, that's bold. <laughs> Dr. Pepper, what do you think? Women, right? <laughs> we need a drink that only men can have. Yeah. Let's... Dr. Pepper for men. <laughs> It feels like a fever dream. Yeah, it's really fucking crazy. So I kept up with the drama and all the stuff. I thought the format was really engaging because at the end of every episode you have fights. Which, as an MMA fan at the time, it was hard to find fights. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Nowadays, you're watching a fight every weekend. Also, you didn't have access to pay-per-view. Oh, no. Unless you asked your parents, I guess. Yeah, which never happened. So I... This was the only place besides 
renting videos or downloading, downloading them where I could watch fights and they were happening in real time, kind of. And it also felt to me like it was important because these guys were fighting for a job yeah. and that really resonates with Americans and it really resonated with my <laughs> young brain. And it was also a job in the sport that they loved and that was different than any other sport that I had encountered before. Right. This doesn't happen in the NFL or the NBA for good reason. However, that appealed to the early MMA fan was like, this is a new sport. I am on the cutting edge of what is right. interesting and exciting. These are normal guys who could potentially become like the best athlete in their sport. That'd be funny if we had to do that for every sport yeah. where we had to have a reality show. That's the in NBA. Order for you to be drafted. <laughs> yeah, it's like, <laughs> no, these guys couldn't do it. <laughs> Because it's hard. Just <laughs> I'm just a fucking guy. They all have to like dunk on each other. Yeah, that'd be sick. Yeah. Maybe one day. Probably. I mean, the unfortunately. We, the way we're going. Yeah, that should be awful. <laughs> I remember watching light heavyweight Bobby Southworth cut 20 pounds in 24 hours. And that really resonated with me. Because at this point, I was in my third consecutive wrestling season of cutting 10 pounds weekly. He nearly died in the sauna, and they captured all of this intensity and emotion on the TV. Yeah. It was the first time I had seen people doing what I was doing regularly yeah. on television. Bobby Southworth made the weight, and then he won his fight. For many viewers, this is probably the first time they were ever exposed to water cutting, which is the tried and true method of extreme dehydration for weight class athletes in you know, combat sports and also in lifting sports and stuff like that. We're not endorsing, by the way. No, I, I don't think it's a good thing. <laughs> Brendan has a whole poetry yeah. book about why this is bad. It's not good, okay? <laughs> People, of course, were rightly horrified watching Southworth cut 20 pounds in 24 hours, but I felt seen on television. I was like, yeah, that's what my friends are doing. And me every fucking week. I recall people asking if that was possible and if it was healthy. And my answer, of course, was yes and no. Because because that's the answer. Yes, you can do it. And no, it is not good for you. <laughs> but because people are like, oh, losing weight quickly? Well, it's like, no, it's, it's killing real, yourself. It's not real weight loss. It's water, guys. Yeah, it's just water. Of course, what most people recall about the first season of The Ultimate Fighter and what MMA fans still point to as the defining moment of the UFC was the finale. Not the first fight, which was Diego Sanchez defeating Kenny Florian in the middleweight bout. Hey, Diego Sanchez won. That's great. But more importantly, Forrest Griffin and Stefan Bonner, the light heavyweight finalists, beat the shit out of each other for 15 minutes straight. Wow. Both of these six foot three inch, 205 pounders looked the part of what you wanted a fighter to be. They were muscular and they looked kind of scary and violent, but also like just guys too. And they really seemed to enjoy this fight. What made it better was that neither dude looked like they were going to kill your family. They looked like they could be guys that you know. Yeah. They weren't the unapproachable height of like a basketball star or like a massive like football player they were just guys who were like in pretty good shape beating the shit out of each other yeah they there. might like run the gas station down the street they could i'm sure one <laughs> of them probably did that's like most people in the ufc yeah. they have like a face you might see them on your block yeah you could a guy who got punched too many times <laughs> for a little bit more context so forrest griffin is sort of this hayseed goofball and Stefan Bonner was an intelligent, thoughtful, kind of lurking beneath the shadows kind of fighter. You mm. wouldn't expect him to be a fighter, mm. but he was. More importantly, though, the fight was not boring. It was intense, but it showcased an athleticism that people didn't realize was part of MMA. Griffin won this fight in a really close decision, a 29-28 decision. To the average viewer, this fight was the promise of an MMA dream fulfilled. It wasn't a grappling chess match or a calculated kickboxing <laughs> exchange. It was two lunatics punching face for way too long so it ended and staying up that alive. They, it ended up that they had to score them out? Yeah, it was okay. a judge's decision, okay. which is like how you wanted it to be. Now that I understand be. this. Yeah, yeah, now you know because you're a fight guy, right? <laughs> so for people that may have been burned by renting one of the early UFC videos at Blockbuster like I did... They saw this and were like, whoa, this sport has changed maybe. Maybe this is something that I could get into too. There were a few grappling exchanges, but mostly it was, it was a ton of blood and a whole bunch of an elated young Joe Rogan 
exclaiming that it's the greatest fight that ever happened. Oh, if you listened, I watched the fight yesterday in preparation for this. Mm-hmm. He's just like, this is the greatest fight that ever. Oh my god, I've never seen this before. Unfortunately, the UFC also gave us yes, Joe Rogan. Yes, it gave us a, a good platform for Joe yeah. Rogan. It has been speculated by many and sort of agreed upon that were it not for this exact fight, had the fight gone a little bit differently, MMA and the UFC would not be where they are today. Just because it was so sensational? It was sensational. just so good. Yeah, it was yeah. such a good fight. It was such a display of the things that you want from like combat, yeah. which is like, it's skill, but it's also um, heart and blood and like violence, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. You know? In it, a controlled setting. In a controlled setting. No one yeah. got killed, which is good. I think it's interesting because one thing can change the trajectory of history. We know this, but to see it, and to have witnessed it in real time is pretty interesting. We have mm-hmm. many examples of this throughout the season, of course, things yeah. that we can point to. Like, wow, that really changed all of history. Yeah. And this one fight is an example of that. Had something gone a little bit differently, if someone got knocked out in the first round, or maybe it was sort of a boring grappling match, one guy doesn't make weight, whatever, none of this happens. Maybe the UFC isn't a name brand anymore. Yeah, yeah. It's also funny that like we're so fickle as consumers that maybe that, something yeah that eh, would turn change us the off. channel ah, yeah. fuck it. like a million people change the channel but so after this fight Griffin and Bonner both get contracts Griffin somehow through a somewhat middlingish career at the beginning scrapes his way to a very briefly held UFC championship mm. and he becomes beloved by fans he is still beloved by fans he came out with a very um problematic book mm. called um got fight which is the most like <laughs> 2008 title. book ever yeah. but anyway he's beloved he's like a funny guy he's still around Stefan bonner as i mentioned earlier he had a career in the ufc but unfortunately died of a fentanyl accidental fentanyl oh, overdose shit. in december 2022 yeah. yeah which is awful he's like 46 you know he's like a young guy the ultimate fighter still lives on 18 years and 30 seasons later the that show... means there was more than one season in a year. Yes, yeah, they doubled Sometimes. up. Yep, yep, for sure. Ugh. It feels now dated and lame because the format really hasn't changed. The yeah. only thing that's updated is, yes, fighters are better. Um, the coaches are current coaches as opposed to, like, retired coaches. So they attempt to bring in coaches that are fan favorites so that more people watch the show. Mm. I don't know how many people watch it. This season specifically has uh, Conor McGregor as one of the coaches of who's, course. like, an awful human being anyway the thing that's really different though as i mentioned is that mma fans don't really need to watch fights on the ultimate fighter because there was this high level espn contract that airs fights every single weekend so i don't need to watch the ultimate fighter to get my mma fix i could go on youtube or watch them on a fight night club the basketball jerseys in real world format <laughs> don't really play anymore in the reality TV market because we have steamier, more calculated, more algorithm certified reality right. TV content that is like appealing to my specific reality TV needs. Yeah. So I don't need to watch like, hey, we got a bunch of guys in a house. Yeah. Now it's like, I don't know, the queer ultimatum, <laughs> you know? Which I am unfortunately watching right now. And it's awesome. I mean, you could say that it is. <laughs> if we're using awesome as a, as a derogatory statement. Yes, which I am. Yes. Yeah, okay, good. The current season of Tough, as I mentioned, has Conor McGregor as a coach. It also has Michael Chandler, this other guy. But it wasn't about the current stars making the show. It was about the promise of witnessing something new and exciting. The UFC is no longer new. It's no longer at all a scrappy underdog. And the more we learn about the company and its labor practices, the more we realize that the athletes should not fight one another for an individual (laughs) contract. What they actually need to do is take collective action to get a better contract for everyone. Which brings me to part three, labor rights in the UFC and MMA. Mm. I'm sure that this is going to be disappointing and sad. You're going to hate it. I hate it too, especially as a person who regularly watches it. <laughs> the dream for an MMA fighter in 2005, when The Ultimate Fighter aired, was so much different. Since MMA was niche, simply making it to the UFC was considered a huge achievement. Most fighters had to continue working a normal job as well as compete professionally. This is 
in the UFC. Yeah. Not just at your lower levels. Obviously there too, but like UFC fighters still had to have their nine to five bullshit job. Yeah. Or brand partnerships or something. Yeah. Yeah. And and that time period you could get sponsored. Yeah. In many ways now you can't get sponsored like you used to. Wow. So a lot of those revenue streams have been destroyed. The Ultimate Fighter changed the UFC's profiles and profits in a big way. For instance, 6.1 million viewers watched Griffin and Bonner fight to oblivion in 2005. That is a lot of people. A ton of people on Spike. Yes, they both received contracts, but their actual share of that revenue, that 6.1 million viewer revenue, was practically nothing. Right. Imagine being a person who helped to build a $4 billion company. Imagine you sign a contract that pays you (laughs) $12,000 per fight. That's the precedent that the Ultimate Fighter set. And it is remarkably still pretty much the exact same business model for the UFC. Almost 20 years later. Yep. Many fighters now are on a 12 to show 12 to win contract. Wow, that is that's fucked up. no adjustment from 2005. Yeah. Guys, inflation happened. Yeah. You can't buy a house for 100 and if grand anymore. Three fights a year. Yep. You yeah. would have to win all three to have a real salary. Yeah, to have like a teacher's salary. <laughs> it's fucking crazy. Yeah, it's insane. So, some of the toughest and best athletes in the world who contribute actively to the valuation of a sports juggernaut will earn you know, maybe $20,000 a year if they don't fight enough, $60,000 per year if they fight a lot. The highest level competitors, the champions, the veterans can earn upwards of a million dollars per fight, but this is the exception and not the rule. This is not the standard, you know, in 12 fights in one fight night, pretty much all those guys are earning a shit contract. Very few of those guys are making six figures a year as a professional athlete. Just like Uber and Lyft drivers... (laughs) UFC athletes are all under the independent contractor Mm. umbrella. If you don't know what an independent contractor is, that pretty much means you have no labor rights. So the UFC also pays shit taxes, actually. I'm sure they, yeah, of course. They have like a lot of legal loopholes. Oh, I'm sure they Mm. pay like nothing, right? Mm. They are essentially at the whim of a powerful corporation that dictates the terms of their labor. I'll talk about healthcare in a moment. (laughs) We've always seen this, right? We've always seen companies wield their power over the source of their revenue forever. This is what capitalists do. This is the whole point of capitalism, right? To extract wealth from people's labor while doing little labor yourself. Mm -hmm. With increased popularity comes more people willing to take their shot at success to become one of the dozen fighters who makes a million dollars per fight. Actually, fewer than that make a million dollars per fight. The market is now flooded with cheap labor, a.k.a. fighters who are willing to fight for very little at the hopes of becoming a superstar. And more fight cards, now we're at like about 40 fight cards a year, means you need more and more cheap labor. So now there are series like Dana White's Contender Series, which create a breeding ground for cheaper fighters to literally compete for scraps against one another. It pits people against one another for one of those 12-12 contracts, but without like the living in a house drama sort of thing, right? It's just fighters doing that. So it's like, it's basically a test process to get to a 12-12 fight. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you have to fight your way. You have to fight for free. Yep. Maybe Maybe get your ass kicked. Yeah. To get a 12-12 fight. Just one 12-12 fight. Well, you you know, you probably get a contract for like a three, oh, for like three, a three fight yeah, deal. Okay, so three fight deal. So yeah. you have to get your ass kicked for a three fight deal. Yeah. Mm. If a contender series fighter, you know, gets his contract and then loses three fights, good job. You've now made $36,000 a year <laughs> before taxes. And then also you're paying a bunch a of bunch other of fees. You're, you're paying coaches you're paying mm-hmm. for a place to train you're also paying a manager you're also paying uh, for insane healthcare costs yeah. so really what is that $36,000 yeah you're essentially getting nothing you're probably working another job yeah it's the latest trick in a centuries-long struggle to cripple collective action by promising privilege to a very few select group of people just like the rodeo yeah, it really is a lot like when the rodeo, the rodeo actually. Yep. episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, it's very similar because I think, uh, yeah, professional bull riding is also independent contractors. Yeah, it's all independent contractors. Even though there's associations, the associations don't 
treat them as their employees. Yeah. They're just contracting out those riders. Yeah. It's pretty messed up. Yeah. A little bit more about the UFC and how much money they make. So only 15.5% of the UFC's revenue goes to fighters. This is a bragging point for the UFC and its owner company, Endeavor Entertainment. That's insane. If you want to know what evil sounds like, you just have to listen to earnings calls between company executives and shareholders. Doesn't have to be the UFC. Could be any corporation. Literally anyone. All they're going to do is brag about how little they pay workers and how much money they make as a result of not paying their workers enough. Furthermore, because of the independent contractor status, the UFC does not cover health care for anything outside of UFC fights. So if you get hurt in a fight, then you are uh, liable to get some health care. However, if you're injured in training, which is the most common source of injury, you are not getting covered for that. So if you break your hand or you just like tear an ACL, these things happen all the time. You are paying for that. So if you're not one of the guys at the top, what, what are you going to do? Your whole career is over yep. and no one's helping you. No one has your back. You're fucked. Yeah. So on top of fighters barely making enough to survive, you're also responsible for paying this health care in a job that is attached to the well-being of your body. Yeah. It's wrong. In a it's job that good. is also like, you're going to get hurt. You're no going to get hurt. What. The whole point is to hurt somebody. Yeah. That's what's cool about it. It's cover people's health care. Anyway, in 2019, people were talking more about unionization, Mm -hmm. a fighter's union for MMA and the UFC specifically. And I found an article from The Ringer called The Biggest Fight in the UFC is Over Labor Rights. Mm. This is a cool in-depth article. I'm not going to read everything from it, but just to give you some uh, idea of where things were in 2019. So it says, of course, there is no fighters union in the UFC. The company keeps the lion's share of the estimated profits. The estimated profits in 2022, by the way, $1.2 billion. Profit. About 85%, according to most estimates. And President Dana White wields dictatorial power over UFC fight cards, cutting contracted fighters at his discretion while barring them from competing for other MMA outlets. Mm. The efforts to create a fighters union in the UFC have failed continuously for years. Yeah. And they talk specifically about a couple times in which fighters have tried to unionize. 2014, there was a union attempt. I think in 2019 as well, pretty much nothing has taken hold. Because there's been no big names attached to it. Yeah. So you have a classic, big names get big. They're making, you know, $500,000 a fight. They're not going to sign on to this union drive because they could lose their contract. So unless there's collective action, unless there's like a a boycott of, unless there's a boycott by fighters, you're not going to get it done. Yeah. Like... Boycott is the only way to really make it work. You have to hit them in their wallets. And they also have to... The fighters have to want to do that. Yeah. Which, like... It's a risk for them. It's a huge risk and for them. it's hard to take that risk. Especially because, as the company has intelligently done, they have a source of really cheap labor. Right. And if you lose your big guys, like, you know, Israel Adesanya and John Jones, like, all these big guys who would never, you know, give up their contracts because yeah. they're making over a million dollars a fight... You know, they'll just flood the market with more cheap people. And they're like, hey, this is our new star. Even if they're not as good, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, so the fans have to decide that they're going to also boycott too. So it has to be a larger organizational process Mm -hmm. than just the fighters themselves, which is the worst. Yeah, it sucks. On top of that, as I mentioned, they also took away a lot of sponsorship opportunities for fighters. The UFC did? Yeah, so the UFC used to be able to advertise stuff like condom depot on your shorts yeah. and then you'd get like an extra i don't know a few thousand dollars yeah. for that that's all gone in a way to like in an attempt to standardize it and make it seem more professional now they have to wear branded ufc shorts yeah but the octagon is branded actually it is. it's just to make sure the ufc gets those branded mm. contracts yeah yeah of course yeah that's, that's ultimately so what it is isn't it yeah yeah so this uh, article talks a lot about the failure of fighters to be able to adequately unionized yeah anyway let's talk a little bit about dana white because he's a problem he's a real piece of shit (laughs) so on top of this 
awful corporation is our old friend Dana White, who in 2005 I said I really liked and respected because a lot of people didn't really know who he was. Dana White is worth an estimated $500 million. Fuck you. Fuck you, Dana White. White is, of course, virulently anti-union and has become increasingly combative and reclusive since season one of The Ultimate Mm. Fighter. He hates the media and will Mm. attack any fighter or individual who challenges the supremacy of the UFC. Mm. Like any old lunatic, Mm. right? Totally normal thing to do as a business owner, by the way. The everyman image that White cultivated so well in the early 2000s is gone. And the sad, TRT bloated shell (laughs) of an ultra-rich man with nothing left to care about remains. Mm -hmm. In 2023, video surfaced of White smacking his wife in the head at a nightclub. In 2022, he gave one of his YouTuber friends a $250,000 cash gift. In both instances, he refused to accept any criticism or acknowledge the absurd cruelty of his actions. Why did he give the YouTuber friend the 200 He just wanted to give him $250,000 as a nice little gift. While, while his fighters are making, his fighters $12, are making $12,000 a fight. fight. Yes, yeah. yeah. But this YouTube guy, I guess, is a YouTube guy and therefore deserves and he's to... he's of the utmost importance, of course. Yes. White, along with other executives are responsible for dispensing $50,000 bonuses to fighters for performances. Sometimes the UFC will give every fighter on a card a bonus. The card is really good. This rarely happens, but sometimes it happens. Sometimes they won't do it at all. They won't give any bonuses when you think they might give some bonuses. This extra money can be life-changing for people who are not even making $50,000 a year. However, this is a tool for compliance. It's a little do good and I'll take care of you money. But what if every fighter made $50,000 more per year? Yeah. What if the contracts had an extra $50,000 built in? It wouldn't make a dent in profits at all, really. You have a couple, 500 fighters contracted $50,000. I can't do the math, but they're making $1.2 billion in profits. Yeah, they'll be all right. They'll be fucking fine. They'll be all right. However it might relinquish this tiny bit of control that White needs over every aspect of this organization, and specifically the immense control he has over his independent contractors, a.k.a. the people he owns, right? As our economic landscape has rapidly transformed to this precarious gig economy, one of the fastest-growing sports in the world has joined in the exploitation circus. The UFC has increased its revenue by half a billion dollars since 2016, but contracts haven't budged except for the 1% of stars who stand to make more. They're still stuck in 2005. They are, which is fucking nuts. so crazy. The Ultimate Fighter Season 1 laid the framework for our expectations of MMA fighters. Mm. They're impressive athletes, but ultimately, they're doing this for the dream. Yeah. It's the same trap that other labors of love fall into. Like teaching? Teachers, (laughs) social workers, sometimes nurses aren't paid enough because they love what they do. Quote unquote. Even though the economics of the world and the industries have changed, the tired trope remains that people are only worth as much as someone is willing to pay them, especially if they like what they do. But you can only love what you do so much when you can't afford to repair your broken hand or pay your fucking rent. Yeah. And just to like put it in perspective for people, you know, NFL athletes and NBA athletes you're pretty much signing a six-figure contract the minute you get drafted. I mean, at least. At least, yeah. No, there you might be making yeah. seven, mm-hmm. but at the lowest, it's six figures very high. Mm-hmm. Yep. And yeah, like they're obviously playing more. They're obviously playing more games than fights, but everybody's training the same amount. Yeah, and uh, everyone is. You're talking about organizations that have pretty substantial players' unions. That's true. AKA I know, yeah, that's collective true. Bargaining. I mean, like, no matter what, the owners make more money oh, than of all, of the, all of the athletes, and there is definitely a power, a huge power imbalance there. But it feels a little less crazy to talk about the NFL and the NBA and MLB and whatever, yeah. because they are making a wage that is current. It yes. makes sense for our world right now. Yeah. And you have these 
vocal advocates in these players unions who make sure that they are getting paid enough because there are major risks to doing this kind of thing. Yeah. It's all the sports that... It's interesting because it's all the sports that started out as freak shows. Yeah. I mean, which also, you know, basketball and football started out as freak shows. It all started as freak shows, folks. There was a time when that was a freak show too. Why wouldn't we use that model to like make it better? You know what I'm saying? Why wouldn't we use the model of like those things to make it better. If the UFC is doing $1.2 billion in just profit per year, then they can certainly afford to follow that same model. Yeah, of course they can. They can, and as is the point of capitalism. Well, yeah, of course. No, you no, no. fight I it, know. right? Yeah. It's just crazy that like nobody has challenged this in a really large way. It's, it's really uh, disheartening because it will eventually have to come down to the fighters making a choice. Yeah, and the fans. Yes, the fans, I think, but the fighters, they need to spearhead this. Yeah. No, no, of course. And that is the thing that kind of sucks because it's a lot to ask of a person who's already living in a precarious situation, doing a precarious thing. And it makes it hard to be an MMA fan who watches the UFC because you like this and you like the fighters and you like what the sport is. Yeah. But... You really hate this organization. Yeah. It's like the worst organization. But they're doing what all the other ones are. They're doing what all the corporations are doing. Yeah, they're essentially true. Uber and lifting their athletes. Yeah. Independent contractors, it's like the most fucked up thing you could possibly it is. do. It is. Especially when you're working for one organization. You're all working together. Mm-hmm. Hey, maybe you have a great performance and you get that $50,000, but... There's more than that $50,000. Right. There's a lot more. Everybody can get that $50,000. And more. And more. Mm -hmm. And as we often talk about, it doesn't have to cut in to anybody's salary. The guys at the top could still make what they make at the top. You just have to stick it to the bosses. Yeah. And no one wants to stick it to the bosses. Yeah. No, it's true. And that's, you know, that fear is what allows these industries to continue operating without any sort of retribution from their employees. Yeah, absolutely. It sucks. As you mentioned, the the NFL and the NBA don't do this, and that is a a big part of that is because of the players' unions. They don't allow just like random guys from the street to hop in a game (laughs) because they need a body who will play for less. That's true. You can't just do that. In MMA, you could just get a guy out there. And they'll throw him in, right? As long as he's cleared to fight. Again, another thing that is absolutely... Like, I can't believe that this is that kind of... There's no regulation for that kind of thing. I mean, they're like regulated in the sense that like um, state commissions will have to clear you. But okay. I, I'm sure Still, I could probably fight. But also like, yeah, Dana White could pay off the state commission. It'd yeah. Be so easy. There are certainly corrupt state commissions. Yeah. And every state is different. So every state has like different requirements. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason why they're like located in Nevada. Yep. Yeah. Because the business practices in Nevada fucking suck. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And they avoid certain places. Uh, Only California, I think, requires fighter payouts to be um, public. Mm. So when they fight in Nevada, they fight in Florida or fight in Texas. We don't know exactly what every fighter is making. But in California, you get an idea. And you're like, oh, that guy who had a great fight made $12,000. This guy who's a champion, made $1.2 million. Yeah. They're fighting on the same card, playing the same sport. Yeah. I don't know if those same disparities exist in the NBA and the NFL. I don't know. I'm sure they might in some degree, but, like, everybody's making a lot. Yeah. As they should. Yeah, because you're putting your body on yeah, the line. Yeah, you're putting your body on the line. You're generating income for this business, and if it's about business and generate, you should be paid what you're worth. Yeah, absolutely. I think that the, the trope of... You know, a rising tide, raising all boats is often used to talk about this kind of thing, Mm -hmm. to talk about people use it to talk about like, you know, why capitalism is great because if the market is big or whatever, people also use it to talk about unions. Yeah. And a rising tide really only raises all boats if everybody has a boat to begin with. Right. The precedent set by the bosses of the USC and businesses more broadly is to keep some people in boats Other people get like life jackets and some people (laughs) just drown, right? And the bosses are on a super yacht Mm -hmm. and giving everybody a boat would be too expensive for the guys on the super yacht, right? right? 
it might require them to maybe get a smaller super yacht. Yeah. Or maybe they sh- they or should be the ones that drown. <laughs> <laughs> they should be the ones that drown. <laughs> because I don't know what other way to really make this work until people at the top are willing to like really step down. Yeah. Step down. Yeah. You're not allowed to give a $250,000 gift to some random yeah, guy when that's you have insane. people who are starving. Yeah, yeah, it was like one of the most grotesque examples of these people not caring about the people that work for them. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> no, that's not it. That's Come it. On. That's it. I <laughs> know. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I love The Ultimate Fighter. I do not watch it anymore because it's garbage. But at the time, it was a landmark show that brought something that I kind of liked in secret into the mainstream. And, you know, it's still a part of my life. I still watch fighting. Yeah. And the problem is that they just kept it all the same. They kept it all the same. The business has transformed, but their labor practices have stayed the same. Right. And there's almost a way in which you can excuse a business who's like scrappy for not being the best. Because like, hey, we don't have it. But But when you have it... When you're not yeah. scrappy, you got to start taking care of people. Yeah. And instead, they've just made it worse for a lot more people. Yeah, this is such... I mean, I'm not surprised because this is what happens all the time. This is just our society. But also, it's just... It's frustrating because, again, it is such a big thing. I feel like it's such a big thing now. It is, yeah. It's a big part of our culture. And it's just weird that there's no... Nobody's stepped up to be like, okay, well, I see this bad thing that is happening in this place and... Like, I feel like that happens with other sports. Yeah. It has happened historically with other sports where people have kind of stood up and said, we need to do something better here. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, all these sports that have... All these sports that are a little younger or have started out kind of on the fringes of sport, it seems like nobody wants to go to bat for them. It's true. Because, it's yeah, weird. as you mentioned, there is the freak show element of it. Yeah. You know, the element of, like, well, is that really? Like, are you really a sport? Really? Right. It doesn't have the same exact kind of history. Yeah. The road was a little bit bumpier. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that these athletes are any less athletes. I mean, yeah, to say that, like, golf has more protection for its athletes than UFC does is... Uh, completely absurd thing that is happening in our culture golf is another terrible thing i mean yeah Yeah. it is terrible but like (laughs) they have more rights and like protections under the you know pga or whatever the sure so it's kind of weird to like i'm not saying golfers are not athletes i know that they're athletes but they're just not putting their bodies in line the same way not at all that everybody else is not at all and you could at one point argue that this is about revenue and it's like oh well everybody watches the nba everybody they're making more money but now with the amount of money that the ufc is making yeah there's no longer that argument yeah i know people like to pretend that a billion dollars isn't a lot of money it is is. i mean it is when it comes down to just paying for health care yes it's like a very significant amount of money, yeah. especially when the amount of money needed to change a normal person's life isn't that much. Right. People are not asking for that much when you have these struggles with labor and bosses, and yet bosses act like you're a- asking for the entire world. Yeah. I'm sure like somebody who's really good at math out there could do like the comparison between like somebody who's making, let's say, the fighter salary of $72,000, like... Them paying $100 for a pair of shoes, it has the same effect on their income as, like, some, like them paying multiple athletes an extra $50,000 yeah. a year. You yeah, know what I'm exactly. Which is, yeah. like, not much of an impact at all. Mm-hmm. And so, it's just, you have to put that into perspective. A billion dollars is a lot of money. Yeah. It's not going to impact them to... Or even a guy like Dana White, $250,000 in cash. What if he brought $250,000 in cash to every single fight yeah. and paid out every, every fighter? Every fighter, yeah. An extra something that changes their lives. But I guess, too, there. what's wrapped up into this also is because you because this is this takes so much out of you. I'm, I'm wondering, like, this idea that he can't pay them more, if it's coming... I mean, I know that it's also just coming from a place of, like, pure evil and, like, capitalist bullshit, but... I, th- I feel like it takes so much out of you physically. If you got $250,000 at a fight, 
would you just like take the year off to train? Mm, yeah, maybe there's something like that too. Yeah, where they and want you like, to be on the hook. They want you to like be on the edge of your seat waiting for that extra money. Yep, yep. That's a big So that you're always point. there. Especially, I'm, I imagine, especially if you're like a popular fighter, mm-hmm. because they can't, it's almost like they feel like they can't afford to take, they can't afford for you to take a break, yeah. which is also fucked up. Like, you need to have an off season. You should mm-hmm. not be fighting multiple cards. Every couple of months, mm-hmm. you know? No, that'd be awful. So, yeah. it's just... That is true. I wonder if they're just like... At, they think that these people are just gonna... It's gonna take them away, but I feel like that would make more people want to be there. Yeah. Like, they, they're doing that capitalist thing of, like... They think it's gonna... It's gonna make people walk away, but actually I feel like it'll drive people to be part of it more. Yeah. And there are now, there, there's a few competing organizations that they're, they're not competing in any significant way. The UFC is still the big guy, but there, there's one championship, uh, Bellator and PFL. They're all like kind of third, second, third sort of tier, but some high profile fighters have left the UFC to go to oh. a place that like actually takes care of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're very vocal about like the UFC never took care of me. Yeah. They're awful. I didn't get paid enough. I didn't get paid what I was worth. Yeah. Who this guy, Demetrius Johnson, who's like arguably the best fighter of all time. He went to one championship, which is like a random ass fight and mm-hmm. he gets paid more, which is crazy. Well, hopefully more of that happens. Yeah. I mean wanna... that, that is the only thing yeah. that besides a, a fighter's union, fighters leaving the UFC for, for, for a place that yeah. takes care of them will force some kind of change you hope. Yeah, I hope so. But the brand of the UFC is also a powerful tool, so. Yeah. Well, thank you, brother. As you know, I've only watched one fight night. Well, you know, maybe more to come. You. Maybe, yeah. we'll see. I know. It's hard it's hard after you hear all this <laughs> shit. But you, you know. I mean, I'll do it just to hang out with my brothers. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, a little pizza. Uh, yeah, a little pizza a little beating the shit out of each it's other. Fun. It's all it's good. Fun. Anyways, thank you, brother. This was very informative. Mm, Glad you liked it? Yeah, I did.